When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. It defies belief that somehow Republicans in the Senate are reluctant to either review Russian tactics or ignore them. They have no idea if it's Russia or China or somebody. It could be somebody sitting in a bed someplace. The facts are stubborn things. They did hack into this campaign. I'm somebody that gets it. And nobody really knows. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. On Trumpcast, we talk about Donald Trump. But do we ever talk to Donald Trump? Does Donald Trump ever listen to Trumpcast? Or are we just yelling in a vacuum? Today, to yell with me in a vacuum, my guest is Congressman Adam Schiff. Congressman Schiff represents California's 28th Congressional District and is the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee. He's been among the most vocal critics of Donald Trump, and there's a lot of competition there. Schiff sees Trump and his allies in Putin's Russia as threats not just to American institutions, but to liberal democracy worldwide. We'll talk to Congressman Schiff when we come back. But first, here are the tweets. Meryl Streep, one of the most overrated actresses in Hollywood, doesn't know me, but attacked me last night at the Golden Globes. She is a Hillary flunky who lost big. Jackie Evancho's album sales have skyrocketed after announcing her inauguration performance. Some people just don't understand the movement. The fact is, Obamacare was a lie from the beginning. Keep your doctor, keep your plan. It is time for Republicans and Democrats to get together and come up with a health care plan that really, really works, much less expensive and far better. The dishonest media does not report that any money spent on building the Great Wall for the sake of speed will be paid back by Mexico later. For the hundredth time, I never mocked a disabled reporter, would never do that but simply showed him groveling when he totally changed a 16-year-old story that he'd written in order to make me look bad. Just more very dishonest media.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Our guest today is Congressman Adam Schiff, who represents California's 28th Congressional District. He's also the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee. Welcome, Congressman Schiff. Great to be with you. Um, let's talk about Russian hacking. We all know that President-elect, um, his name escapes me right now, but anyway, President-elect something says that no one before the election called his attention to anything like the specter of hacking. But you did. In September, you and Dianne Feinstein released a statement that accused Russian intelligence agencies of hacking Democratic Party institutions. How were you confident enough at the time to publish this statement? What did you know? Well, the intelligence uh, even then, even in September, was very strong, uh, and Senator Feinstein and I were urging administration to make public attribution. They were reluctant to do so uh, for a few reasons. They didn't want to be seen, I think, as uh, meddling in the election or putting their hand on the scales. I think they were also worried about what the Russian reaction was. But we felt it was very important uh, to level the American people that a foreign power, an adversarial power, was trying to manipulate them, was trying to interfere in their political affairs, and, and we needed to be public about it, so we were. But it's uh, very ironic that the president-elect, uh, who was out there basically publicly encouraging the Russians to hack his opponent's emails uh, and trumpeting WikiLeaks uh, on a daily uh, basis, uh, now expresses surprise that the Russians were involved in hacking. It's amazing. So but why weren't Republicans with you at that at that moment when it wasn't entirely clear, was it, that the meddling by Russian hackers was on Trump's behalf or would amount to a thumb on the scale for him? Well, there were a few, uh, not many, but a few Republicans who were willing to say, I don't want the help of the uh, Russians, no matter what, uh, they shouldn't be interfering. But most of them were pretty mute because... Very early on, it was clear that all of the dumping of information was quite unilaterally directed at harming Democrats, harming not, not only Secretary Clinton, but, and this is lesser known, but there were hacks of the DCCC and the documents that were dumped there were harmful to the Democratic candidates for the House of Representatives. So most Republicans adopted the point of view of the president-elect, which is they were not going to bite the hand that was feeding them. So one thing you said in that, that statement with Senator Feinstein was, Americans will not stand for any foreign government trying to influence our election. We hope all Americans will stand together and reject the Russian effort. This sounds very hopeful and, and you know, obviously has not borne out in the current stated apathy and indifference to now the established facts of Russian hacking. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I mean, two, two things I would point out made the Russian hack so devastatingly successful. The first was that the political consensus that foreign interference in our elections, particularly by a state like Russia, ought to be condemned by both parties broke down. Uh, and you had one party encouraging, celebrating, making full use of the Russian hacking. And the fact that Donald Trump, the Republican candidate, was willing to embrace this, whereas you can imagine what Mitt Romney or John McCain's would have, reaction would have been. Even if they were benefiting from it, they would have condemned it. But here that broke down. 
and you had the Republican nominee welcoming it, encouraging it. But the second thing, and Democrats really have to do some self-examination about this, is try, though we might, we fail to persuade the country why they should care, why they should care about a foreign country meddling in their affairs. And, you know, that was our burden of persuasion, and we did not succeed in persuading the American people that uh, there was an attempt to manipulate them, that it was serious, and they ought to recoil against it. So um, one thing you've done is refuse to move on from the, this fact of Russian interference. Um, what do you make of Obama's expulsion of those 35 Russian Democrats thought to be spies? It, was that an adequate response or, or is there more? I think it's a first step. Uh, it's not going to be enough to deter the Russians. And one of the conclusions that uh, I think is among the most important of the report that was just published by the intelligence community is that this was not a one-off. The Russians will do this again. They'll do it to us. They'll do it uh, even more recently or, or sooner to the uh, Europeans in the German elections and the French elections that are coming up this year. So this is going to happen again. This is an assault not just on American democracy, but on liberal democracy around the world. And we have to be the virulent opposition to that. Uh, the Kremlin is trying to propagate this autocratic form of government. It's trying to take democracy, all democracy, down a notch. Uh, and we need to fight as vigorously as ever in this battle of ideas. What might be, I think you said on Twitter, that Democrats and Republicans need to work on a comprehensive response to the hacks. Um, what is a comprehensive response? What might that look like? I think it starts with a broader sanctions package that really uh, impacts the Russian economy. That's what Putin cares most about. That's the biggest threat to his continued regime, uh, a cratering of the Russian economy. So anything that puts that in jeopardy really gets their attention and has a deterrent impact. But then I think we look at every vector the Russians used for this attack uh, and the attacks on Europe. We look at not only the hacking and dumping of documents, but the dumping of forged documents in Europe, the bribing of officials, the extortion, the use of uh, social media paid trolls, their very slick propaganda platforms like Russia television, RT, like their Sputnik. Uh, and we have to formulate a response uh, against each and every uh, element of the Russian uh, cyber and non-cyber efforts, uh, both here and among our allies in Europe and beyond. So it really needs to be a comprehensive approach that Democrats and Republicans work on together and ideally not over the resistance of our new president. Is this, um, it, uh, this, this is very interesting to me that there may, you know, to attack or, or respond at least along every vector, you say, including ha hacking and dumping of docs, I assume uh, fake news, social paid trolls and so on. Um, what that suggests that you do believe that some American institutions have been fully compromised by this attack, if not quite to the level of liberal democracy, the media seems compromised to me and probably the Internet itself, the, at least the American Internet. What are measures, I guess, long term anti-cyber terrorism measures that can be taken, you know, by the media, not at the level, level of government, by the media itself and then on behalf of the Internet? Well, this is something that I found endlessly frustrating during the course of the campaign, and I spoke to, at times, uh, members of the editorial boards of major newspapers about how they were covering the hacked documents. And uh, my argument was not that they should uh, immediately rule out the publication of documents the Russians were feeding us, mm -hmm. but that whenever they did discuss these documents, whenever they decided that the public interest in the contents was so substantial that they couldn't withhold publication, 
they needed to set out the context and not bury it at the end of the article. They need to let the reader know uh, in documents hacked by the Russians that they hope will influence American public opinion, here's what we found. Uh, they need to set the stage. And I think it's very important the American public get that inoculation so that they know why they're having access to these stolen documents and who hopes to gain from it. Uh, too often that was either completely left out of these articles or uh, it was an, uh, a one-liner at the end of the article that says the Clinton campaign points out that these documents were stolen by the Russians or alleges even. Uh, that just, I think, plays into the Russian manipulation of our free and open media. Yeah, there, there are other, um, uh, that seems very right to me, and there are other ways that the media can contextualize things that signal to the reader, cues given to the reader, the placement on the website or on the app. There are ways with display copy, headlines, photographs, sequencings of things in an article that can provide, as you say, this really important context that you know puts a lot of puts a lot of stuff under suspicion or skepticism and also in quotation marks um, and suggests that a lot's being left out of the story. And, and you know, just at the level of workaday journalists, a lot needs to be done to sort of understand how that happens. I think that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, part of the reason why public disclosure is so important and why I hope the report that was released last week is the, the beginning of public disclosure, not the end, is that, you know, the the best antidote, I hope, remains more information for people, letting the American public know, okay, here's what the Russians did. Here's how they did it. Uh, here's how they were able to use our own system against us. And here's how we need to be better prepared next time. And hopefully we can develop the political consensus where both parties condemn this. And it doesn't matter who it helps or who it hurts, uh, because what made this so effective was the fact that one party was willing to go along with it. You know, um, we do with cyber terrorism and almost with any on any Internet battlefield do need a set of metaphors that make it clear why this counts as warfare. And I just saw Saving Private Ryan last night. You just need to see show why this is a breach, why this is, um, in, you know, an act of, if not war, hostility from a foreign power and what it looks like. The Internet is is so abstract now likening this hack to the the hack on that on the file cabinet watergate was a good step but it's not quite it's not quite as it doesn't ca- capture the scale of this hack that's absolutely right and you know it's interesting you brought up watergate because that was the analogy that many of us were trying to uh, make uh, that imagine going into the democratic headquarters in the middle of the night and breaking open the files and every day uh, publishing these stolen documents in order to hurt one of the candidates, people would enormously think, okay, that's Watergate. Uh, but no, that's exactly what happened on a, on a scale much greater than Watergate. Uh, and it was done by a foreign adversarial power. I mean, it, is, it should take your breath away. And nonetheless, it didn't. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it wasn't the big story of the election. And, and that in and of itself is a big story. You know, there's another thing. I think I remember uh, Thomas Friedman or one of the op-ed writers at the time saying that the revelations um, from the dump that the, the Russians had a hand in, the revelations were so banal about Hillary. And, you know, one thing I think we learned uh, going back to what the media can do is 
You know, I think it's like it's the same way when you see someone through a lighted window in their apartment building. It always looks like they're doing something ominous, even if they're cleaning the kitchen. You know, that, that like because something seems like you're not supposed to see it when you finally do see it, even if the person is saying, I need to, you know, go get my phone fixed and pick up some apples. In other words, the press also has a responsibility for telling us how significant is this actual material, not the fact that it was leaked, not the fact that it was a private exchange, but how, but, you know, you know, does it have criminal actionable consequences, you know, for these campaigns? That's absolutely, absolutely true. And uh, I guess I have a couple reactions. You know, one was the degree of sensationalism mm-hmm. in the description of a lot of the hack documents, which didn't show criminal activity. And yes, some of them were embarrassing, but I think every American looking at those stories uh, could ask themselves if somebody had access to all my private emails, wouldn't they be at least as embarrassing? Oh, God, yeah. um, but the other uh, thing that really leaps out at me, and I guess this was best summarized by an editorial cartoon the week after the election, which has proved all too prescient, uh, was the cartoon that showed a bunch of people in a nuclear bomb shelter with mushroom clouds going off left and right outside. And one of them says to the other, uh, yeah, I would have voted for Hillary, but I was really worried about those emails. Yes, that's um, right. That really kind of put in context what was at stake in this election, as we would soon find out with Donald Trump tweeting about getting into another nuclear arms race. And, you know, I, I think pointed out one of the central problems, which was in an effort, I think, to achieve some kind of false equivalence between the issues that were raised about Secretary Clinton and her use of private email uh, and all of the issues involving Donald Trump, we ended up with a, you know, a candidate for president who I think, by many people's estimation, my own including, included, was uh, not uh, fit for the office. And shockingly, over the last uh, few weeks, I think has demonstrated unwillingness to grow with the job, and that's quite terrifying. So let's get let's talk about life as you. You three weeks after the election, you described life as like emerging from a bad dream. And now we have Trump's Republican-controlled Congress firmly in place. You've, you're out of the bad dream and, and into, as we all are, into the bad reality. How are you girding for battle? I know you're a committed exerciser and triathlete, but what's it like for you waking up in the morning, preparing for the day, being an avowed part of the so-called resistance, keeping focused and sane? Well, it's not the role that I wanted to play, believe me, but I think it's an enormously important one, and uh, this is going to be a real test of our constitutional system. Uh, I feel like I have a important role uh, in terms of the constitutional due process to to really be guarding against the barbarians at the gate. Uh, I'm you know desperately concerned with what I see uh, happening with some of the appointments by the Trump team, uh, you know, but. I think probably the single most discouraging thing I've seen since the election was a tweet. Mm. And I know there are a lot of good candidates for this, but it was the tweet along the lines that millions of illegal immigrants voted, and that's why Donald Trump lost the popular vote. Because this said to me that the president-elect cannot accept even the the smallest diminution in the uh, magnitude of his accomplishments, and he's willing to invent millions of people voting. Uh, we can't have a president who speaks that way or thinks that way if we're going to be successful as a country. And he needs to be able to grow with this job. Uh, if he doesn't, you know, we're going to have to be all the more vigilant uh, in our roles in Congress and the loyal opposition in fighting back and pushing back and pre- in preserving the progress we've made over the last eight years. But 
just in preserving the liberal democratic system we have here and and that we hope to see continue to prosper around the world. So it's a big responsibility. And, you know, what I would suggest to people, because I've gotten hundreds and hundreds of calls and emails from people, constituents who've never been politically active or, or never to the degree they want to get active now, but who are terrified by what's happened in this election, uh, that, you know, the key to being able to cope with this, and I know a lot of people are having trouble sleeping and eating, uh, it's really quite uh, incredible, uh, is to get involved. It's empowering to be involved. To get up and, and have a sense of mission every day about what you can do uh, is the only antidote to, you know, the appalling dark cloud that that does hang over many people since this election. This is no joke because this is, you know, potentially how people impair themselves. You know, they get they lose the will to fight and speak and, you know, and act because they are so troubled with anxiety and depression. And as you say, we don't have time for that right now. Um, no, we, we don't. Have, yeah. What I, I you know, encourage people is figure out uh, one or two issues they care the most about uh, and then explore what they can do about it. It will be important, the work they do. It'll be empowering. Uh, and they will find people who are of like mind. And that's probably the best therapy there is. Um, I, I think that's great. I want to ask you one more question. One of the things you do is something I really admire. And, and you know, it's not every, it's not in everyone's quiver to try this, but you take it to Twitter. Not only tweet regularly to keep up the, uh, the heat on Trump, but you don't just post stuff that's critical of him. You actively call him out using his handle. That's that's at real Donald Trump, if anyone else wants to try it. Um, and for those of you who don't use Twitter, one fairly common way to use it, sort of narcissistically, is by skipping absolutely everything on Twitter except mentions of your own handle. I don't want to make assumptions about President-elect Donald Trump, but there's a slight chance that Trump uses Twitter mostly to see what's being said about him. And if he clicks on his own name to find out what's being said about him, con- Congressman Schiff's ideas pop up. You will, without throat clearing, without any kind of hesitation, say, you know, you need to accept the hack, real Donald Trump, so we can do something about it. Is that costly? Do you get trolled? How do you handle that? Oh, well, I certainly get trolled. And, you know, I think one of the tweets we sent out attracted our biggest following of supporters and trolls, uh, which was one that after his nuclear tweet uh, said, uh, essentially, at real Donald Trump, you're new at this, so uh, let me be helpful. Uh, here's a list of things you can tweet about other than nuclear weapons. <laughs> Number one, literally anything. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it, it, uh, it's funny at one level. It's uh, quite, quite terrifying at another. Um, but it is a medium that he uses and uh, looks like he will continue throughout his presidency. It scares me to death that, you know, he may announce major policy changes in direction in foreign policy or get into fights with China over a tweet and then double down and triple down when he's challenged on it. Uh, but if this is the medium that he listens to, then it's one that others need to speak in as well. I think it's really impressive. Um, I think a couple days ago, you used your 140 characters very wisely to say, at real Donald Trump needs to realize no one is doing more right now to call into question the legitimacy of a Trump presidency than he is. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think it's very I think, true uh, because as people look at his incomprehensible unwillingness to acknowledge what everybody else has in terms of what the Russians did, it caused more and more people to think, what is going on here? 
what is it with this guy? What's behind this? Uh, you know, is this why he doesn't release his tax returns? Is there some hidden economic motivation? Because it just seems so irrational, yeah, uh, so defensive. You know, is it possible we have a president who is willing to disregard all the facts simply because it it uh, conflicts with his preferred version of events? And what will that mean for the country if it's true? Well, Congressman, you are very inspiring. If you can continue to run triathlons, train for triathlons, and uh, endure this kind of trolling on on Twitter, and keep your head in the face of the desolation of Smaug or whatever we're calling this administration, um, then we can too. So thank you very much for being here. It's a pleasure to join you. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer at Panoply. And I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. If I had stayed on with Celebrity Apprentice, by the way, the number one rated reality show ever, I would have definitely won an Emmy. It's a fait accompli. I would have won an Emmy. It would have been tremendous. And then last night, I would have been on that stage and I would have ripped that hack actress apart, Meryl Streep. She's terrible. She doesn't know what she's doing. I mean, how many nominations has this woman received and how many wins? Total loser. Total loser. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.